Today's lecture is Do I Love My Spouse? Part 2. Let me just, uh, in uh, really two, three minutes, recap what we said in Part 1. And if you weren't here by Part 1, don't worry, Part 2 stands as a class of its own. But let's just recap. The focus of Part 1 of Do I Love My Spouse was to define that the definition of to love is to know. And you cannot love what you don't know. If you don't know your spouse, you can't love your spouse. But then there's a step before that which is you can't know if at some level it's not to be. So to be is to love. And therefore the question is how exactly can a male and a female experience this? At some level, male and females aren't the same, so there's no to be, so there can't really be no to know, and which ultimately means there can't be no truly to love. So the question, do I love my spouse, we step back and say, here you have a question of love between two different genders, how is that possible? And the answer to that question was that I believe, I didn't see this in printing, and I shared with you, it's my thought, that we are definitely told, this is written, that Adam was created first as Adam and Eve together. And then they were separated. And obviously God doesn't make no mistakes. And therefore, if he put them together and then separated them, it wasn't, oh, let's try this, it didn't work, we'll have to do that. There's a reason why they first had to be male and female as one and then separated. And what I was suggesting was, the reason for that is because if they were not at some level one, they would never be able to get married to each other and truly love each other. And then we spoke about how even after they were separated, within both the male and the female, there is both ma masculine and feminine. And that's why you have in the ten spirot, the ten uh, faculties of the soul, you'll have over there both masculine and feminine. On the intellectual level, wisdom and understanding. On the emotional level, the six emotions and malchut. And then, to sum it up, we just said that even after you have all of this, that a man needs to be able to be in touch with his femininity, femininity in order to be able to appreciate his wife, and the woman has to be able to be in touch with her masculine side, to be able to appreciate her husband, and yet, nevertheless, you need to know that the feminine of the masculine is masculine, and the masculine of the feminine is feminine. So ultimately, as much as you know each other, you still don't know each other, which is actually the beautiful place where love is infinite. But you do at least have a true understanding of to be, to know, to love. That was, in a nutshell, part one. To define, can there be any true love between two spouses, which is opposite genders, okay? Today, today's lecture, today's uh, search of today's lecture is, a different arena. And that is, there has to be some uniqueness of the relationship of marriage which simply does not exist in any other relationship. What is it about marriage that offers you something that no other relationship can offer you? And I want to share with you, everything works in divine providence, we're a week before Shavuot, and that's why I gave out the Shavuot guides today. Interesting enough, God has already in the Torah and in different verses and in our prayers defined our relationship as A, Avinu, B, Malkeinu. He is our Father, He is our King. So we already have in our relationship with God defined as parent-child relationship and king-subject relationship. Pretty much should cover everything. What can be greater than the parent-child relationship? And yet, when it comes to Shavuot, the metaphor God chooses specifically to define our relationship is that Mount Sinai becomes the chuppah, God is the groom, and we are the bride. Why? One would consider that once he's considered us, he's already created that we are parent-child, wouldn't that be greater than the marriage? So why does Hashem say no? I want you to know that there's a definition of our relationship which defines itself in the realm of a definition of marriage. 
Why so? What is there something unique about marriage that even a parent-child relationship cannot experience? What is it here that Hashem is telling us that to really understand the foundation of the relationship, the day where we have become His people at Mount Sinai is to understand that there is a specific beauty, uniqueness in marriage. That's what we're searching for today. What is that unique, unique experience, gift, that only a marriage relationship can have? Okay? To understand this, I want to tell you something that I'm constantly telling people when I deal with them, talk to them, counsel them, and most often try to listen to what I'm saying so uh, I can have a good life in relationships. There's something very interesting. What I usually find I must tell people is your heart is not a studio apartment. Most of us have our hearts running like a studio apartment. The living room, the kitchen, the bedroom, the foyer, the den, it all is one room. There is one definition of relationship. And interesting enough, that as I tell this to people, because that usually is where people get hurt, misunderstanding of relationships, wrong definitions to relationships, and then they have this whole chaos in their mind of what's going on in the relationship. And when I tell them that you cannot run your heart as a studio apartment, I truly understand the struggle. Because I myself am finding myself kind of not patient, not wanting to have a relationship that's anything less than absolute intensity. It's kind of like, why would I put my energy, heart, time, into a relationship that's all about ulterior situations? And as I'm telling them that, I keep on listening to what I'm saying. Because I myself keep on repeating to myself, that's not the way it works. You cannot have a studio apartment for a heart. You cannot have that the person's either in your bedroom or not in at all. You can't have that relationship. Because when you're doing that, you're actually setting yourself up for a huge amount of pain in all your relationships. Because when you let a business acquaintance into an absolute selfless relationship, you're going to get hurt. And when marriage becomes nothing more than a business partner, you're going to get hurt. So realize that your heart is a very complex, huge mansion. And as you allow people in, they need to have definition of where they're allowed in, what this relationship is, what you mean to each other. And they need to be able to earn where they are. So with that said, when we discuss the concept of the relationship as not a studio apartment, that's the approach we're going to take today. And this leads us to the next stage. Let us define what a relationship is. I actually took out Mr. Webster and I looked to see how he defines relationship. Relationship is very interesting how he does it. Relationship is the relation between the relation and bond in between the participants of a relationship. So it's sorry, the relation of the connection and bond between two participants in a relationship. So the definition of a relationship is two people that are getting together. What I told you before about the studio apartment, what I'm telling you is that you need to have a healthy portfolio with huge diversity in relationships in order to maintain a healthy, balanced heart. And in that relationship you have to have both sides. You need to have to maintain a healthy heart you need to have a relationship which is everything and then you need to have also relationships which are exactly that business, simply business. 
So, before we get into the marriage relationship, we need to understand that relationship is a huge broad spectrum. And everyone you are having a connection and bond with is a relationship. And yet that relationship has different definitions. And that's what we talk about in Chassidus. It, it really has a beautiful explanation of all the different sides of relationships. At one point it discusses Aleph, Beis, Gimel. One, two, and three. They're all different levels of relationship. One, there's two, and then there's three. There's different, and Chassidus explains it at very great length and depth and width. What is the definition of a relationship where it becomes one? What is a relationship when there remains two? And what is the beauty of a relationship when the two become three because they both enter into a new new existence? So Chassidus has a huge definition of what the different levels of relationships are. And then Chassidus enters into the concept of one. And within one, it subdivides two types of relationships. Within one, you have a relationship where one is defined as Echad, and one is defined as Yachid. One is defined as Murkav, one is defined as Atzmi. I shared with you the names, now let's understand this. A beautiful place to go to understand this is the menorah. The menorah has seven branches and three different types of designs. Buttons, flowers and cups. And yet, nevertheless, the verse specifically tells us that the entire menorah must be banged out of one solid piece of gold and not have separate pieces soldered together. The Torah is telling us that the unity of our people, which defines itself in the seven branches, seven different emanations of emotions, which defines the whole spectrum of our beautiful people, cannot be one where it's soldered together. It must originally be brought forth from one solid piece. That is the difference between Murkav, comprised of, and Atzmi, oneness. It is always was one. Defining itself in different faces, but it is one. That is the difference between the word Echod and the word Yachid. The word Echod in Hebrew means one, which already allows for a multiplicity. There will be a two, a three, a four, a five. The definition of the word Yachid is a oneness that defies any capacity of multiplicity. So here you have a oneness within the relationship where two become truly one. You have two different types of one. Echad and Yachid. One is a one comprised of complexity and the other is a oneness which expresses itself in complexity but it's not comprised of complexity. Are we all together still? Okay guys? Yeah? You with me? <laughs> okay. Why do I share this with you? This is all introduction, introduction, introduction to talk about marriage. If you want to look at what's the definition of a relationship where there is yachid, the most practical examples that we always find is two realms. Parent-child and marriage. Parent-child defines itself as Kesher Atzmi. It is truly one. Spouses, many halach issues, from the Kabbalistic term of they were originally one soul, separated to be put back together, go back to Adam and Eve, one being separated only to reunite. On many levels, Spouses are not comprised of two becoming one. Rather, they truly are lebosar echod. They truly are yochid, one essence. So we're now, from here on, going to focus on, put away all the other relationships that you know of. 
business acquaintances, relationships that build upon what we do for each other, all the different levels and the depths, friends, good friends, dear friends. We're now moving into specifically the relationship of one and within one itself we've entered into the depths of it which is called Yachid. It's not even a one which shall be followed by or has a capacity of two, three, four, five. It is one which defies anything but the oneness of the relationship. Okay? And here we've given two examples. Parent-child and marriage. And at this level we're going to discuss what does marriage offer, what is the uniqueness of marriage that even a parent-child relationship cannot offer the individuals. Interesting, you're talking about the definition of how spouses are truly one. There's an interesting uh, one-line joke, it's not a joke, it's a very interesting thought. You know, a a ship is sinking, you panic, you jump off this ship, you're saving your lives, people are dying, and then later everyone looks at you, how did you jump ship without saving your friend? You know what, ultimately the person will be forgiven by society. He panicked, it was life or death, he had to do what he had to do and he jumped. And at the moment, he just lost it, he didn't think, or didn't think he could save both him and his friend. Put that same scene with your spouse. Go explain to someone that you're so panicked you forgot that your wife was on the ship. It doesn't, it just won't go. Society will never accept that. There's a famous story, the great rabbi in Jerusalem who actually went to the doctor and told the doctor, my wife's foot is hurting us. That's a different dimension. There is a yachid that exists in marriage. And that is a whole different relationship than all the other relationships. And yet, when we talk about marriage versus parenthood, we're going to find something very interesting. And that is that parenthood is unbreakable. You cannot have a child or a parent disown each other. Because even if they go to court and do that, will they never not have to sit Shiva or say Kaddish over the death of each other? So when you talk about the definition of parenthood, what it means to be one essence, it is unbreakable. It is unbreakable because it is, it is, that plain and simple, it is, period. There's nothing a mother can do to disown a child, and there's nothing a child can do to disown a parent. Which, parenthetically speaking, makes it feel a little better when the parents, the kids tell us, I hate you, but that's, it just doesn't exist. There cannot be a breaking between parent and children. It may be very strained. You may not be talking to each other. You may, God forbid, even get worse than that. But the bottom line is, halachically, genetically, factually, a parent-child is unbreakable. Which introduces us to a very interesting concept. What's about a marriage? Divorce is a Torah option. Judaism allows for divorce. Not only does Judaism allow for divorce, But the divorce is so complete and thorough that halachically this divorced woman can now marry another man. Which seems to defy everything that we're saying here. If we're defining marriage as just like parent-child, it enters into the yachid, not echad. Within one itself, it is, it just simply is. The man and the woman are not two that become one. They are one. And there is no place in the marriage where you can touch woman without touching husband, touch husband without touching wife. They are one. Then how can you have divorce? Seemingly if it's breakable, then it never really was unbreakable. So the mere fact that God willing never get divorced, 
The mere fact that Torah tells you you could get divorced, it is a potential, it is a halachic possibility. Doesn't that kind of tell us that even when you were married, it was never unbreakable, inseparable, and how can you use the word yochid? So here seems to be a question on everything we spoke about. We're sitting here and talking so deeply about how marriage is so one. It's not just two. It's not just friends. It's not just business partners. It's not just people that help each other to the point where whatever it may be. It is the ultimate one. Just like a parent and a child. And yet, the hard cold facts are that even while they're married, divorce is always possible. This seems to weaken anything beautiful about marriage. And yet I suggest to you today that that is the ultimate beauty of marriage. The fact that you could get divorced is really what marriage has to offer you that even being a parent cannot offer you. And I explain myself. In a parent-child relationship, no matter how much we try to educate our children that the relationship needs to be earned, there is an accountability there's not to be taken for granted. You need to earn your parents' love. Nevertheless, the very definition and foundation of that relationship defies that entire education. So while we educate our children that you need to earn our respect, you need to earn trust, you need to earn responsibility, you need to earn your allowance, Ultimately speaking, a child needs to earn nothing. Ultimately speaking, the child did nothing to become your child. And by definition, the child is just a piece of you. So therefore, the parent-child relationship ultimately does not need to be created, therefore cannot be broken, and therefore is lacking. The beauty of marriage is its dichotomy. You see, because all other relationships, all other relationships cannot enter into the atmi, kesher atmi, you're one. You're not two that love each other, you're not two that have so embraced each other. You're not two that would die for each other. You are one. Other relationships don't have that, can't have that. Ultimately speaking, the center of every single love is I. And if I allow you into my I, it's because of I. And therefore, ultimately, any love, regardless of which movie you went to, which latest novel you're reading, the definition of any other relationship needs to be two constantly fighting to get close. Marriage is not two that are fighting to be close. Marriage is one. You know the Kabbalistic interpretation of marriage. One plus one equals one. And yet, on the other hand, look at parent-child. Parent-child relationship, which does have that one, that atmi, nevertheless it's unbreakable. And by the fact that it's unbreakable, it is lacking. I've been told by a uh, child psychologist, it was actually a family therapist in New York, I was meeting with him, we were talking, and we got into a very interesting conversation, who loves who more? I believe I told you this once. Who loves who more? Parents, children, or children, parents? And surprisingly enough, we're not so surprisingly because we're all parents now, parents love children more than children love parents. Simply because parents are constantly investing into the relationship and children are just taking. 
Love is created in the giving, not in the taking. And therefore, ultimately, there is something lacking in a parent-child relationship. It's very power of being atzmi, I don't need to earn because I am, is the very sore spot of a parent-child relationship. So marriage has something so unique and beautiful. Marriage has on one hand, it could become atzmi, one, yachid, essence, and on the other hand, it is breakable and therefore needs to be earned and therefore carries within it something that no other relationship carries at all. Again, I don't know if I'm being clear, but what I'm trying to say here is every other relationship can never reach the level of Kesher Atzmi, essence. Parent-child relationship can never be earned, and we'll soon see what that plays a role. It can never be earned, but it is atzmi. The beauty of marriage is that it is atzmi and it could be broken and thus needs to be earned. So on the first level that I'm sharing with you, what is the unique beauty of marriage is the mere fact that it could be breakable and therefore needs to be earned and therefore the participation and experience of the two in the marriage is even greater than that of a parent-child relationship. And now I want to introduce you to something that's beautiful, a beautiful teaching Hasidus, which is amazing. You talk about the uh, ten faculties of the soul. They are not the soul, they're not the essence of the soul. They're emanations of the soul. They're faculties of the soul. But then there's the crown. And in the crown, there's the outer and the inner, external and internal. The internal, the deepest level of essence of the soul, expresses itself in ta'anug, pleasure. Interesting enough. In Kabbalah, after you get through the emotions, the three intellects, you talk about will, the power of will, and even deeper than that, the power of pleasure. Ta'anug. What is Ta'anug created from? What allows you to experience the deepest level of essence? The answer is, Ta'anug comes from Chadash, something new. You can have the most pleasurable experience at, to exist. Have it again and again and again and again and again and again and eventually it's going to become not pleasurable. Pleasure comes from the concept of new. Let me throw something at you. Have you ever heard a parent complaining, I'm getting bored of my children, I need a little diversity? We know unfortunately we deal with that with our spouses. There's something to be said about that. Because marriage, even though it is absolute essence, it has something that parents and children don't have to offer each other. And that is the fact that it is breakable and therefore it does have to be new. That is the beauty of marriage. Because Tanub can only be experienced in the new. Forgive me for the word. You can only experience a moment of eroticism in marriage. You can't have that with a child on any level. And to believe that you can experience eroticism, God forbid, through having an affair, it's impossible. Besides that, uh, how erotic can guilt be? But even more than that, by definition, eroticism comes from the ultimate experience of intimacy, which is the ultimate experience of oneness. You can't have that in an affair. 
you can have neurological reactions, but you're not experiencing the true depth of definition of eroticism, which is the ultimate experience of intimacy, which can only be had in the arena of essence one. And yet even in that arena you cannot experience it with a parent child because it's lacking what eroticism nurtures off. New. So the very beauty of marriage is the fact that you could have a divorce. Because that's what's creating the constant new in a marriage. There is no being taken for granted. And while you'll never get bored with a child because you can never experience the ultimate eroticism, intimacy, new with a child, you could experience that in marriage. Because of its unique gift of being essence, ultimate depths of intimacy, and breakable, new. Put those two together and you have an amazing moment. I want to share with you something very interesting. It is a, I remember when I heard this from my Rosh Hashiva, I was just like, wow. The Rogachava, the great Rogachava Rav, asked the question, Elijah the prophet's wife, was she allowed to remarry? Interesting question. Elijah the prophet never died. Elijah the prophet went up to heaven. She's a married woman. There's only one of two ways that a married woman can remarry. Divorce or death. Elijah didn't give her a get. Elijah didn't die. Here's an interesting question. The Rogachava wants to know whether Elijah the prophet's wife was allowed to get remarried after he went up to heaven. His answer was amazing. He says this will all depend upon how you define marriage. If you define the chuppah as a one-time act which renders the woman forever until undone a eshet ish married woman and the only way it could be undone is through a divorce or through death then Elijah never undid this marriage he neither divorced nor died she is still a married woman however, and this is the beautiful part however if you view the chuppah as a continuous act which continuously makes the woman into an eshet ish let's listen to what we're saying here the chuppah cannot create a marriage that will go on forever the chuppah is an act that could go on forever and continuously make this woman and husband husband and wife. And therefore by the mere fact that Elijah the prophet is alive and she is alive, the chuppah keeps on rehappening, rehappening, rehappening. And once Elijah goes to heaven without dying, he is no more there to keep on keep on proclaiming her his wife and thus she stops being a married woman and she's allowed to get married this concept is awesome the Rogachava's mind is, is just amazing it is actually the mind of Hasidus the Rogachava was Lubavitcher Hasid and it's an amazing mind of Hasidus because in the world of Hasidus Existence is not a one-time act. For the moment God stops creating, the world ceases to exist. He takes that thought and uses it for marriage. The chuppah is not a one-time creation and thus she is a married woman. He says both sides of the thoughts. I'm, I'm obviously focusing on the second one. The chuppah is a continuous act that happens again and again and again and every moment she becomes from new his wife because that is the unique amazing beauty of marriage that while you can become one essence it is breakable and thus must always be new just tell you what happened after he delivered that shiur a Rosh Hashiva walked over to him and told him Mazel Tov he looked at him and said you just got married didn't you 
The beauty of this thought is the uniqueness of marriage. The uniqueness of marriage is that it is essence. You and your spouse cannot be two people that have to keep on compromising, molding to each other. You do, by the way, but that's later. As they say, don't ruin it with the facts. But the bottom line is that the ultimate soul and experience of marriage is essence. You both truly become one where there is no he ends, she begins, or vice versa. It is essence. And yet it offers the unique arena of ta'anug, the ultimate experience of being able to have new. And that is defined solely by the beauty of that you could get divorced. So let's just take a moment, really, to really appreciate what the Rogachova said, and then let's go back to the question. The beauty of marriage is that while it is an essence relationship, it is breakable, and therefore by definition needs to constantly be created. The outcome of that is that you do not have bread of shame, unearned, undeserved, and you can experience ta'anug, which we'll just use the word erotic, but ultimate rebirth and newness and pleasure that only marriage can give you, that even parenthood cannot give you. With this being said, let's go back to the question. Only this time, I ask you to absolutely, carefully listen to the question. Do I love my spouse? The capacity of being able to ask that question in your marriage is the magic of the answer of marriage. Remember Fiddle on the Roof? Do you love me? What does she answer him? What do you mean do I love you? 30 years I've been doing this, doing this, doing that, doing that, and, that, and now you ask me if I love you? And the answer is, I don't know. Do you know if we're right now going to Kabbalistically redefine that little scene of Fiddle on the Roof? That is the beauty of marriage. That after 30 years of being there for each other, socks, laundry, meals, whatever it is, providing, he can turn around and ask her, do you love me? And she, when she stops to think, says, I don't know. That is the magic of marriage. To be able to experience that moment of being able to ask that question, being able to be asked that question, gives you the opportunity to answer. A parent and a child cannot have that moment. And therefore what I say to you is, do not be afraid to ask that question. How afraid are we to ask that question in our marriage? We will do anything. We will start humming and singing and go bowling and go boating if we start thinking about, do I love my... <laughs> don't go there. Way, way too deep invested. We don't want to go there. Too late to ask that question. How afraid are we when our spouse asks us that question? Tell me how many moments of deep sadness and depression we've each experienced when we start feeling like the marriage is disappearing. And yet I tell you that that is the moment where you can experience the unique beauty only marriage has to offer. I will tell you, do not be afraid to ask yourself that question. 
Do not be afraid to ask your spouse that question. Do not be afraid to be asked by your spouse that question. Because you may just be creating the most memorable moment of your life. I will tell you that second honeymoons are created by this question. Amazing pure moments of kosher and holy eroticism is created by this question. It's the question a parent can never ask a child and a child can never ask a parent. It's the question that two spouses that live 60 years together celebrating their 60th anniversary can look each other in the eye and ask that question. Ask it with the intimidation of what's the answer. That is the ultimate beauty of marriage. So like a good Jew, I'm answering your question with a question. Do I love my spouse? And the answer is, do I love my spouse? I want to share with you something. Last night, last night, to be honest with you, it was this morning. I emailed the uh, notes to two people. One's a classmate and one's a dear friend. And I got a call right before the class. Like, yeah, right. Redo the class in five minutes. <laughs> but you know something? She brought out something very important. And if it didn't come across, I want to clearly state it. You know, it's wonderful to talk about this. It's wonderful to be here in Coldstone Creamery. Thank you, Sherry and be able to discuss the utopia of marriage. To be able to ask, do I love you? To have that moment of intimidation, what's the answer? And then create a second honeymoon. But, uh, you know, you ever saw these commercials when they do this, do not try this at home? <laughs> there is that scary moment. Can we go home and do this with our spouse? Would I give this lecture if my wife was here? These are interesting things to ask yourself. My answer to her was, what I'm trying to tell you is that quantitatively speaking, your marriage is 98% getting under each other's skin. And yes, we all know that moment where you see your spouse's eyes. Would you just leave already? That's practical. And I take my hat off to a man and a woman that forget this whole love business. That can just respect each other. That can actually live life as respecting each other's opinions. Talking with respect. Living through scary moments financially, whatever it may be. And being able to survive. Forget about the love. Just surviving. I take my hat off to such people. We struggle with that day in and day out. And for someone that walks out of this room and says, you know what? He's talking about a marriage that I just can't have. I don't have those moments with my spouse. Maybe I used to. But I don't have it right now. So what does that leave me with my marriage? And I want to share it with you. Quantitatively speaking, do not look for what I've spoken about. You're going to get hurt. We're all going to get hurt. Most of us get hurt because we go there. But qualitatively speaking, whatever you do have with your spouse, as pale as it may seem to what we're talking about, realize that the paleness is only a question of quantity, not quality. Because the shakiness of a marriage is the strength of the marriage. The breakable allows for the ta'anug, the chadash. So please do not go home and destroy your marriage by trying to implement anything we spoke about today. But on the same token, be able to appreciate that those moments you do have no matter what the quantity number is, 
the quality is untouchable even in your parent-child relationship you and your parent you and your child and that's what I'm sharing with you today there is a deep pain and struggle going on throughout huge masses in America by the fear and intimidation of even hearing this question and more often than not the answer which you tell yourself is not the answer you would even tell your therapist and yet I tell you it's okay it's okay marriage you know there's a famous line best way to ruin a friendship is get married these aren't just sayings they're true there's depth to it how can you expect two people who are under such stress such getting under each other's skin such fighting and issues over everything to experience the love and I tell you don't worry go there be able to go there remember the subtitle was a brave and daring journey into the question be able to ask the question be able to hear the answer as ugly as it may seem and then know that within that answer lies the beauty of everything we spoke to because the breakability of the marriage is the only area where you can create the one thing marriage can offer you that absolutely no other relationship can offer you and in closing remember I spoke to you about God Shavuot why does God introduce Shavuot as the chuppah why not and here I gave birth to you one of the famous sayings that all religions steal from our religion and they go into their own interpretations I have born you today why does God talk about marriage and why at Mount Sinai I will tell you why because Torah and mitzvot is the essence seed which God plants within the womb of his wife us Torah is an essence relationship prior to Torah God gave birth to us we did nothing to become Jews and therefore at some level it was taken for granted at some level it was a bread of shame and at some level we were missing the pleasure and eroticism that only a breakable thus newness can give to a relationship and then when God gave us the Torah together with freedom of choice and I want to share with you last week we read about horrible curses for the Jew that does not walk in the statutes of God and I asked a teenage girl that I learned with on Shabbos how did you take this? you guys saw in my email last week went a little cuckoo over that and you know what she told me? she told me I have always understood these curses and the fact that they all came true to tell me that God has never stepped out of this relationship the fact that God is so hurting us the fact that a holocaust could happen a Spanish Inquisition could happen terrorist acts in Israel could happen is the ultimate way of God telling us I'm not leaving go of you because if you leave go of a relationship you just don't care no more about that person you don't want to hurt them you don't want to be with them you go your way and I'll go my way so while there are other religions pointing a finger and say look God doesn't love you no more look what he's doing to you this bright teenage girl tells me on the contrary this is the ultimate proof that it's unbreakable and God told us he's going to do this he told us we cannot leave this relationship and ultimately he's going to bring us back home by good, by bad, by better so Torah is an essence relationship you can never walk out of that relationship and yet God creates this amazing moment at Mount Sinai which gives us freedom of choice to say no to God 
I won't eat kosher, I won't keep Shabbos, I won't do this mitzvah, I won't do this mitzvah, and yes, I will do this sin. What God gave us was the most beautiful moment of having a relationship with Him. Because at some level, by giving us freedom and choice, He creates a breakability, which means that we now have erotic moments, pleasurable moments, that only a marriage can offer between us and God. And thus God defines Himself as an intimidated groom coming to propose to His bride at Matan Torah. And we the Jews, standing with a mountain over our head, afraid to die, intimidated, and what happens if we say yes, and what happens if we say no? That is the most glorious moment of our people, where you have an essence relationship that's breakable, and thus creatable, and thus new, and thus the ultimate experience of pleasure that only this relationship can give us. So, one sentence. The beauty of the question, do I love my spouse, is the beauty of marriage. To be able to live your whole life as one flesh in all levels with your spouse and then be able to turn around and ask her or ask him, do you love me? Ask yourself, do I love you? That creates within the essence relationship, which normally has to be taken for granted because it's unbreakable, it creates a whole new arena of intimidation, uncertainty, which allows that amazing moment of being able to run back into each other's arms. That's the beauty of marriage. And I'm finished.